the award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And of course, as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcast and uh, you can re-listen to the program there. Uh, share it with someone you think would benefit from the program. Jam-packed today, for sure. We've uh, got a lot of, uh, of of issues to talk about and to cover, two main in particular uh, areas. So the first half of the program, uh, we're going to be talking about the recession, uh, two back-to-back quarters of negative GDP growth, and um, just all the economic pain that's out there. And uh, the second half of the program, we're going to be talking about the governmental uh, overreach when it comes to the environment and the impact that it's having on the American farmer. Well, actually, not just the American farmer, but farmers uh, around the world um, and their uh, uprising uh, and they're, they're pushing back. They're not taking it. So we're going to be talking with uh, a uh, an expert in that area that actually has a um, – uh, cow calf operation in Wyoming in the Black Hills. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that as well. First, let's get started with my guest. Very happy to have him back on the program, Mr. Desmond Lockman. He's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Um, he's been a professor at Georgetown at Hopkins. He worked um, as a managing director for Solomon Smith Bar- uh, Solomon Smith Barney. He's worked at the IMF. Just a, a wealth of knowledge. And um, we want to talk about this economic data and the talk about the recession. So good morning, Mr. Lockman. How are you? Well, thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time to come back on. We always enjoy your insight. So, um, so I guess, you know, you laid out a really nice piece uh, this week uh, titled, The U.S. Economy Keeps Shrinking, The Fed Should Slow Interest Rate Hikes Now. Um, and we'll dive into that uh, today. But let's, um, let's just start with the GDP number that we got a couple days ago. What, uh, what's your feeling on that? Well, the GDP numbers that we got yesterday indicated that the U.S. economy has now contracted for a second consecutive quarter, and that's popularly regarded as a recession, you know, even though the official determination will be made several months later by the National Bureau of Economic Research that looks at a wider range of issues. But having said that, we're seeing a lot of weakness in the U.S. economy in the first two quarters, you know, whether or not that's recession, we'll determine that later on. My concern, though, is more with what lies ahead, that this might just be the beginning of a more pronounced slowdown. And part of the reason uh, that I think that that's the case is because the Fed is slamming on the brakes pretty hard uh, in order to bring inflation back under control. And it looks like the Fed's not going to ease off slamming on the brakes until they see inflation coming down. So my concern is with the high interest rates, higher interest rates, what we're seeing already is we're seeing housing demand crumbling. You know, the fact that mortgage rates have gone up from something like 3% at the start of the year to 5.5%, it just means people can't afford 
the same kind of house that they could before. You know, in fact, if they could afford a $400,000 house with these kind of interest rates, now they can only afford a $300,000 house. And what that's doing is we're seeing in the numbers, you know, mortgage demand is dropping by 20%. Housing builder sentiment is at a low. What we're also seeing is we're seeing consumers are as pessimistic as they've been. You know, basically what's occurring is they're being squeezed by inflation. Inflation's not, is outstripping their wage increases. So they're feeling poorer. They can't afford the same amount of spending as before. And also, households are getting crushed by what's going on in the equity market. We've had the worst equity performance in the first half of the year in the post-war period. You know, huge amount of wealth. You know, I estimate something like $12 trillion of wealth has been wiped out. So that's another leg of the economy that's weak. And then we've got exports having to contend with a high dollar and a weakness across the rest of the world. You know, we're seeing Europe is really in trouble because Russia's turning off the gas. We've got China that's got the zero COVID policy. You know, that's another major economy that is slowing abruptly. And we've got the emerging markets in deep trouble. So when I put the whole picture together, uh, I think that we're heading for a recession, you know, certainly uh, by the end of this year. And part of the problem is that the Fed looks to me like it's going in overkill on trying to bring inflation back down. Yeah, and that's so frustrating because the Federal Reserve was um, asleep at the wheel for a year and a half. We actually watched inflation go up every month. And they have those two mandates, right? One is price stability, control inflation, and two is get as close to full employment as possible with the policies that come from the Fed. So why would an, an agency that is has a 2% inflation rate allow it to get to, um, well, it got to 8.8, I guess, or 8.9 before they uh, had their first raise uh, two months ago. And then, of course, this week we got the second three quarters of a percent raise. But why would they allow that to happen? I know they threw out the bogus transitory uh, word and argument, but it really, I mean, how do, how do you think they let that happen? There's, when history judges this, it's going to judge this as being one of the worst monetary policy mistakes that have been made by the Federal Reserve. They managed to convince themselves that inflation was only transitory, that everything would go away. And what they did is they kept interest rates at zero when we were having the biggest budget stimulus that this country has had in peacetime, huge budget stimulus, $2 trillion. They were throwing something like 20% of GDP at the problem after the recession that was caused by COVID. So you had a huge amount of budget stimulus and you had the economy growing and yet the Fed sat on interest rates zero. You know, what made it worse is what the Fed was doing is it was pumping in liquidity into the market by buying treasury bonds at $120 billion a month. So what you saw is you saw not only did you have low interest rates, 
but you saw the money supply over a two-year period increasing by 40%. You know, so it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that with a very easy monetary policy and a very expansive budget policy, uh, we'd get inflation. But that the Fed uh, didn't uh, uh, figure out. You know, the Fed was waiting to see the inflation numbers pick up. They had to be completely convinced. Now, the big mistake that the Fed made last year was they forgot that monetary policy doesn't operate immediately. So if you raise interest rates, you don't immediately get the economy slowing down. It takes six months, 12 months for that to occur. The same thing is going on now, in my view, in reverse, is the Fed is waiting to see the inflation coming down a lot, even though the signs that the economy is slowing at a very rapid rate, and they're only going to ease up on their policy when they actually see the inflation slowing. That is going to be too late. You know, so what I'm concerned about is they're holding interest rates too high. And the other thing that concerns me is that the Fed now is withdrawing market liquidity. It's going to be at the rate of $95 billion a month. You know, they're doing that by not rolling over their treasury bonds when they mature. So we're going from a situation last year where they were pumping $120 billion a month into the markets. You know, so that kept the markets really very buoyant. And now at the time that the economy is weakening and the financial markets are on the back foot, they're withdrawing liquidity, you know, which is pushing markets down further. So I'm afraid that they're making a huge policy mistake, you know, for which we're going to pay. We're going to get a recession that is deeper than it needs to be. You know, and my view is that the Fed should really be backing off this policy. You have 75 basis point increases uh, in these kind of circumstances doesn't make sense. You know, the Fed should wait, see how its policy is working you know, before it keeps ramping up the interest rates. Yeah, no, I, again, I, I couldn't agree more with you. It's it's just they're doing things backwards. I mean, they were late to the party to to try to say, hey, we've got to, you know, do something with our monetary uh, spending as far as, like you said, the treasuries and the mortgage-backed securities. And they were spending that right up to the month prior before they raised interest rates uh, the first time. So it's just, again, they're they're asleep at the wheel. And um, it's very, very frustrating. And uh, we've got to squeeze a quick break in here. But when we uh, come back, we'll continue our conversation with my guest this morning, Mr. Desmond Lockman. He's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And you want a bunch of good, free, uh, solid information? Go to uh, AEI.org and you can read Mr. Lockman's uh, his, his research. You can read uh, the other uh, fellows there that uh, that pump out a bunch of good stuff. So I would encourage you uh, to do that, folks. Uh, it, it really will help you better understand uh, what's really going on. So we're going to get a quick break in here, and we'll see you on the other side. Uptown got its hustlers. The Bowery got its bumps. 42nd Street got big Jim Walker here. Bull- 
This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 at WFMD.com. You can find it streaming there. And as a podcast, just go to uh, Apple Podcasts and you can grab it and, uh, and, and listen to it. We're continuing our conversation with my guest this morning, our first guest of the program, Mr. Desmond Lockman. He's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, he's been a professor uh, prior to that at Georgetown and Johns Hopkins and also worked at Solomon Smith Barney. That's a name from the past. And uh, also at the International Monetary Fund. So, um, Mr. Lockman, you know, again, I was thinking during the break quickly uh, that I wanted to ask this because it's always on my mind. So you've got all of these people at the Federal Reserve, and they have a very important job, obviously. Um, and it just it's it blows your mind to think that models weren't in place for a potential issue like we've just uh, come through with inflation and actually continue to deal with. It is you were at the International Monetary Fund. It, is that ever done where these models are prepared for various scenarios so that they're tested ahead of time? Yeah, they are running models, but the models are subject to interpretation. And what is a big fault in my view in the way in which the Fed runs its policies is it doesn't pay enough attention to what's going on in financial markets. So what we saw last year is they were flooding the market with liquidity, as I mentioned, buying $120 billion of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, you know, which really pumps money into the market. They did that at the time that the equity market and the housing market were on fire. So what they did is they created a problem where we got equity valuations at the end of last year were at nosebleed levels that we hadn't seen. In fact, we'd only seen once in the last 100 years. You know, so the S&P 500, the price and earnings ratio, if you look at it in cyclically adjusted basis, was twice the average level over the last 100 years. So you clearly got a bubble in the equity market got a bubble in the housing market, housing prices increasing by 20% a year. You know, that is a really bad indication. Yet the Fed kept pumping money into that kind of system. The same thing they're doing right now is that as the market is falling, what they're doing is they're taking the money out of the market. So what I think they're doing is they're exacerbating the volatility that we get in the markets, and that has an economic uh, consequence, you know, because, as I've mentioned, that we've had this year equity prices down something like 20%, bond prices down something like 20%. Those are very big declines in a very short period of time, and it's wiping out a lot of wealth, and it's making people feel pretty uneasy about the economy. So the Fed should be there to stabilize. It's supposed to take away the punch bowl when the party gets going. You know, it looked to me like what they were doing is they were spiking the punch bowl when the party got going. 
And now what they're doing on the way down is they're overreacting on the way down. So the Fed really will have to do a lot of explaining, you know, when we look back on this period, uh, you know, because they're certainly very much part of the problem. Absolutely. And then I agree with your uh, comment in the previous uh, segment, you know, that they're going to be judged very harshly uh, from a historical basis as to um, all of the mistakes that they made. So in the piece that you wrote this week uh, titled The U.S. Economy Keeps Shrinking, the Fed Should Slow Interest Rate Hikes Now, um, in uh, part of that uh, piece, it says almost every U.S. recession has been led by a slump in the housing market. Um, you talked about uh, mortgage demand being down, um, y- you know, very badly. So where do you see housing going for the second half of this year? Because, you know, the data that we see recently when I was looking at new homes, existing home sales, pending homes, exact, you know, whatever it may be, um, you see that uh, the numbers are lower, but the actual average prices are going up, and that really is a head scratcher. Yeah, well, that is how the housing market generally works. You know, in that what we've got now is we've got a situation of very low inventories, and we've had very high prices. Now, what we're seeing is the demand is falling off very rapidly, but what we're going to get at least for the next six months or so is sellers being in denial you know so they've seen house prices in the neighborhoods going up by a certain amount they're not going to be prepared to sell their houses at a lower price so what we'll see is houses sitting on the market for a longer period of time we'll see inventories building up and then by next year my expectation is that the prices uh, begin falling. We are already seeing in some markets, uh, like if you look at high-end New York real estate or San Francisco, you're seeing prices actually falling. But generally, it's not inconsistent with the housing demand slowing and the prices staying high for a while because basically the sellers are going to be in denial that something really fundamental is changing in the the housing market. So uh, my expectation is that uh, 2023 is we're going to see house prices falling. But meanwhile, in terms of the real economy, what really counts is builder sentiment now is plummeting. Housing starts are coming down. So what that means is there's going to be less construction activity. If there's less construction activity, there's less jobs in that area, and that spills right through the economy. So that is how the Fed's policy generally works. The interest rate really hits hard, interest-sensitive parts of the economy, and there's nothing more interest-sensitive than housing, where most people finance their house with a 30-year mortgage. And if the mortgage rate goes up from 3% to 5.5%, it means that they can afford 25% less house than they could before. That has to, in the end, translate into prices coming down. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So I want to finish our uh, conversation with something that you just mentioned, uh, employment. Uh, You were talking about the housing industry. But overall, um, how do you feel about the employment picture 
Um, you know, again, I saw earlier this week with uh, all of this crazy inflation, um, over uh, one and a half million retirees have had to leave retirement to go back to uh, work because they just don't have the income to support these prices. Yeah, that we will see uh, people coming back into uh, the workforce, and you know that would be another reason that you know we might see unemployment begin to edge up. Currently, the labour market is really very strong. We do have unemployment at close to record lows, something like three point six percent, and what. Uh, is likely is that with time, as the economy slows, there's going to be a, a lot less uh, demand for workers. So the expectation is that unemployment will begin to rise. What's important to remember is that unemployment is what economists call a lagging indicator. You know, first what happens is the economy turns down, there's less activity. Firms are not very fast to fire workers. You know, it takes a while, but after a while, they do fire workers. So we're in the situation right now where we're seeing weakening demand, yet the employment numbers still look reasonably good. You know, although what we are seeing is unemployment claims creeping up at a pace, my expectation is that by the end of the year, you'll see unemployment numbers begin to go up. But right now, we do have a strong labor market. The trouble is that we've also got a very rapidly weakening economy. So that labor market can't stay strong for too long. Right, right. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that is definitely what's on the horizon. Our guest this morning has been Mr. Uh, Desmond Lockman. He is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Go to AEI.org and you can um, see all of his research and what uh, he's written about. Some of the current events like the CHIPS Act uh, is on the homepage today. Uh, you can check that out. And as always, Mr. Lockman, thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule and joining us. It's always uh, enjoyable to speak with you. Well, good to talk to you. Yes, sir. Have a great weekend. And uh, like I said, we always appreciate when Mr. Lockman uh, joins us. It's a wealth of knowledge. And again, go read his research. It's uh, it's great. It's it's easy to understand. Um, it, you know, it's not over uh, jargoned, if you will. And uh, it's it's just good stuff. So uh, help yourself with that. And we're going to take a, uh, a break, get you some news. And then on the other side of that, our second guest for today will be um, uh, Mr. Tracy Hunt. And we're going to talk about uh, what these uh, in- environmental terrorists, along with now the governments, not just here in the United States, but around the world, are doing um, to the farmers and those in agriculture. So um, you want to definitely stay tuned for that. Also, our latest white paper just came out. Will a recession rob your retirement? Will a recession rob your retirement? Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. It's right on the homepage, complimentary. Just click the download button, and it's there for you. And we want it to make it timely, and I think it is.
It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD, streaming at WFMD.com and available as a podcast. Just go to Apple Podcasts and you can grab it there. And um, just uh, finished up that interview with Mr. Desmond Lockman. Again, if you want to get information, um, he's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, if you're just joining us. But if you want to get some uh, good information, you can go to AEI. Dot org and um, read up on various topics. Uh, so help yourself uh, in doing that. And now I'm really happy to have joining me uh, for the second half of the program, Mr. Tracy Hunt. Uh, he is a retired um, attorney from Newcastle, Wyoming. His family runs the MW Ranch. It's a cow-calf operation in the Black Hills of Wyoming in South Dakota. He's a member of RCAF USA, which, of course, uh, is a friend of the program. And uh, we have on occasionally to get updates in the world of agriculture and uh, and ranching and farming in general. And uh, there's a lot going on right now with uh, that area. So we wanted to have uh, Mr. Hunt on to uh, give us some insight. Good morning, Mr. Hunt. How are you today? Good morning, Chris. How are you this morning? I'm doing fine. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Yes, sir. Well, thank you for taking the time. You know, we'll tell our our little secret. We tried this last uh, weekend and had some problems. So we really appreciate you uh, taking time to join us for the second time uh, to get this right. So, you know, one of the things I guess we'll start with Mr. Hunt, is uh, the piece that came from RCAF USA titled uh, RCAF USA Supports Dutch Farmers. So give our our audience a little bit of a background of what's going on uh, in the Netherlands and why uh, the ranchers and cattlemen and, and, and livestock producers here in the United States have chosen to back those farmers. The the Netherlands is uh, not a big country. It's about, in terms of square miles, it's about the same size as Maryland, Uh, maybe a little bit bigger. And it's got uh, intense agricultural production, and they uh, have a very high standard of living, uh, much of which is due to their agriculture. uh, But what's going on is that they're a member, of course, of the European Union, and and uh, the United Nations has a heavy influence on the United on the uh, European Union, and the European Union has designated a number, and I'm going to say in the ballpark of 130 natural areas that they uh, require um, environmental compliance with. And so, what's going on in the European Union is that the uh, environmental groups have filed suit in the Netherlands to stop certain agriculture practices in uh, and around these natural areas primarily. So what, how that's impacting cattle producers is that they are required to reduce their nitrogen emissions, which means their use of fertilizer and natural uh, fertilizer like manure. And uh, there's a, a prohibition that's really coming from the European Union through the government of the Netherlands to 
require these guys to essentially give up their cattle. And they are not having it. And uh, the European Union is powerful, and the United Nations is powerful, and the Netherlands government is powerful. But I think they're running into something a little bit more powerful, and that's a very determined Dutch farmer. And so what's happened is in numbers that are just incredible, like 30 and 40,000 strong, these farmers have turned out with their tractors to disrupt commerce and the food supply chain. So they're blockading food distribution centers and they're uh, setting uh, stuff on fire. And and, and surprisingly, they have the support of the Dutch people who understand what's going on. And what's going on is not that so much... uh, of an environmental concern because they've been doing these same practices for hundreds of years. But what's going on is it's essentially amounting to a land grab around these natural areas. So, uh, and it's a very liberal country. Uh, It's a godless country. They they are primarily, uh, the people don't recognize religion uh, in numbers about uh, over half. And the people who are, uh, our farmers there are predominantly, overwhelmingly strong Christians. So what you have is a, a, a cultural war on their cowboys, uh, who are also uh, it's a, a war on religion and a war on a way of life, and not unlike what we're going to experience in uh, much more obviously in in uh, Wyoming and the rest of the United States. Uh, but it's um, it's a a bit of social engineering rather than it is environmental uh, uh, concern. And that's becoming more obvious all the time. And that's because these Dutch farmers are pointing it out to us in uh, very significant terms. This, this has been going on now for a couple of years, but recently due to a ruling from the Dutch government uh, has been the, the government has put their foot down and so have the Dutch farmers. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned about the burning. I saw actually footage uh, this past week um, uh, where there was uh, stacks of hay in uh, the interstate lanes that they lit on, uh, lit on fire, you know, like you said, to cause that disruption. And it just sounds like when you were explaining that, you said that, you know, the government's run into resistance. It sounds like they've run into a buzzsaw which is so refreshing and it's so encouraging to see these brave uh, men and women and, you know, their families stand up to, you know, whoever it is that's going to try to take their way of life under the false guise of uh, climate change or whatever else. So um, what do you think the end, end result is for uh, that particular area? Well, you know, the, it's not all that much different than the Canadian trucker strike in terms of its organic and wholesome nature. And uh, and typical of those kind of issues, the mainstream media just doesn't cover it. So, so many Americans don't have any idea that this is going on. And uh, I think it's going to be a test of wills. And this has been going on for a couple of years, but it's really reached a, a, a climax in the last, uh, let's say, two months. And, and these people are uh, determined and... And their livelihood is at stake. And it's not just an economic issue. It's a very emotional and uh, deeply held uh, belief among these people who are overwhelmingly hardworking. 
very tough, resilient uh, people like uh, cowboys everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And again, you said, and I appreciate you pointing it out, that it's not being covered, um, which is exactly why we want to talk about it, because we want to talk about everything that uh, that that makes, you know, uh, some type of impact on people. So they really do understand what's going on. Um, and actually, I'm going to squeeze a quick break in here when we come back. Also, what's been going on in Sri Lanka and uh, you can tie that, um, again, the, the agricultural part into that as well as what we may be looking at uh, coming our way uh, here in the United States at, in, in a larger scale. So we'll be getting to that in, uh, in just a minute. So uh, stay tuned, folks. Well, you wonder why I always dress in black. Why you never see bright colors on my back. Go sleep till! Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can grab it there. Uh, Wrapping up our conversation with our guest this morning, Mr. Tracy Hunt. He is a retired attorney from Wyoming, and also he and his family run the MW Ranch. It's a cow-calf operation in the Black Hills of Wyoming and South Dakota. And uh, we were just talking before the break about the the craziness uh, that's going on over in the Netherlands and how, um, you know, we're seeing this extreme overreach uh, in the name of climate change by uh, these governments and uh, other institutions and how the uh, the, the farmers uh, and, and cowboys and those in agriculture are are not taking it. And, um, you know, uh, Mr. Hunt, right before the break, we talked about Sri Lanka and you had talked about the importance of that uh, subject off the air with me. Uh, when it comes to uh, agriculture, how does that all play in? Well, Sri Lanka is an island nation off the coast of India, and the, the teardrop at the very south end. And they have uh, uh, agriculture that's, that's generally speaking a little more primitive, but um, than say the Netherlands. But what happened was the government just announced that overnight that they would import no more fertilizer, which means there is no more fertilizer in uh, Sri Lanka due to their isolation. So uh, what's happened is that their crop yields have have uh, deteriorate sharply, and they're suffering food shortages now. And the suggestion is that it has more to do with, uh, rather than environmental concerns, as the government has uh, alleged, it has more to do with uh, a balance of payments and uh, banking issues in the International Monetary Fund. So it, it's a very much more complicated issue. But here's the here's the the unmistakable and undeniable trend is that there is a global attack on food production. And people who have followed it closely, and you have to kind of look for it because, once again, it doesn't get media coverage. But there have been a number of uh, fires in our own, in our American food production facilities, like maybe 200 of them in the last few months. So you've got what's going on in, in uh, the Netherlands is that there's a reduction in 
food, good quality food that people need in terms of the uh, beef production in Sri Lanka, where their yields are going down and people are going hungry now. And, uh, you know, in, in the United States, we have a we're looking at uh, the, the same globalist interests are forcing uh, through consolidation in the uh, meatpacking business, what they call the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, which is nothing to do with sustainability in the traditional sense of the word. It has to do with uh, power and control that uh, the banks and the packing industry are exerting on uh, ranchers and uh, feedlot owners in, in America. And so uh, this is not just something that's happening in a faraway land where people don't look like us or act like us. This is a a portent of things to come in this country if we don't get get down to business and confront them at the early stage here. Yeah, and it's it's very alarming. And again, um, as we had talked about off air, you know, I've had the opportunity uh, multiple times um, of talking with uh, RCAF USA uh, uh, leader uh, Bill Bollard. And we always talk about how, you know, it's so frustrating that you've got these big meat packers that are owned by, um, you, you know, countries um and they still get all the benefits, like uh, as far as packaging and people that are walking up and down the aisle at the grocery store and picking out their their beef. Um, they have no idea where it really uh, came from. Do you, do you I know you guys have been supporting some bills in that area. Are you getting any traction to put more pressure on these big conglomerates and to make it more fair for uh, the, uh, you know, the I'll call the mom-and-pop ranching uh, operations? Well, if you ask Bill Bullard when he's going to retire, he says, as soon as we win. <laughs> God so, bless him. Yeah, God bless him. He's a, he's a, a phenomenal <clears throat> phenomenal resource, phenomenal talent. Uh, but those efforts are ongoing in Congress. And... And slowly, there is a coalition building to support it. But the meatpacking interests and the banking interests that are driving the sustainability movement in the beef business are very powerful. And they have tremendous resources at their disposal. The banks have literally all the money in the world to work with. And the uh, packing industry has all the money that the banking interests will lend them. So... Uh, they are lobbying relentlessly to defeat wholesome efforts to uh, stabilize markets and to restore some sense of equity and fairness in the, in, into the marketplace. Yeah, they well, like the fact that they are in a monopoly position, and not just not just to us. I mean, they're in a uh, they're they're as active in like a monopoly regarding the the purchases that they make from us and then again to the retailers so they're taking it off of both ends yeah really an unfair amount yeah definitely it is extremely unfair and i'll just squeeze this in as we always do when we're talking with uh mr bullard is you know for our listeners support the uh the the local uh meat markets 
you know, there, there, there are so many options there, um, whether it's, you know, for those just a couple in the listening area, um, you, you know, you've got Mount Airy Locker, you've got uh, Stony Point, um, you know, just a lot of different uh, places where you can go and get locally uh, produced and harvested uh, beef and, and, and it's packaged correctly and you're supporting these farmers. And I just encourage everybody, you know, to do that. It, it might be a little bit out of your way every now and then, but just think of, uh, of the difference you're making. You know, number one, you're getting a great product that you know uh, that it came uh, from here in America, not from Brazil or somewhere else. And you're supporting uh, those that are, are up against this tough fight. Um, also, I would like to remind everybody that the county fairs are starting. And it's so wonderful. You know, we're involved in that, and we uh, help. Uh, right now we've got um, 24-H families that we're helping. Now, that's in the dairy leasing program to give them experience and uh, that, that wholesome exposure. But come to the, go to the sales on sale night and bid on those animals that these kids, these 4-H kids have worked so hard, um, you know, for all, you know, winter, spring, and summer and purchase that. Again, you're looking at what you're actually going to get and know that it was done in the right way. So that's just a reminder uh, with the fair seasons coming up. So I guess we'll just wrap up, uh, uh, Mr. Hunt, with what do you think about, you know, Bill Gates and, and these other folks that are going around buying up all of this prime agricultural property here in the United States? I think that the, it relates to the same issue as of food control. And if you control the food, you control it all. And what Bill Gates has done, Bill Gates is the largest owner of cropland in the United States. 289,000 acres. Pardon me? 289,000 acres at last count I saw. And growing. He just got a big parcel up in uh, North Dakota. He got a special exemption to purchase that. And uh, so when you have one guy that controls that much, and, and interestingly enough, he has a lot, of, a lot of presence in the rice market, which I think is a, um, uh, a bellwether of where these folks would like us to go in terms of our diet. And I think that uh, that's the direction that they would like to push us. They certainly don't want us eating high-quality, wholesome beef. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and you, you know, you see it in other areas, too, whether it's poultry or pork and, you know, it just it's it's hard. I, 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 I'm fortunate I get to talk with a lot of farmers. So, um, you know, when I see all this uh, stuff, this blow and smoke coming from um, the World uh, Health Organization or whoever, uh, you know, they can just go pound sand because, uh, just like you you had mentioned, we're seeing over in the Netherlands, uh, farmers are definitely getting fed up with it. Uh, but so are um, uh, Americans who love their freedom, and they make the best choices from them for them, you know, for themselves, not what the government or you know some multi multi billionaire is telling them to do. It's just not going to work for them, and I don't know why they won't figure that out. You know, Chris, you make a, a great point about the the uh, local butcher shops, the mom-and-pop butcher shops, and how wholesome that is. It's interesting to know, if you go to the grocery store, you're, the beef that you look at in the case may have a sticker on it that says, product of the USA. And people think that they're buying American beef. And they may be, but they are not certainly not necessarily. What that means is that 
They can bring beef in from, say, Argentina, Brazil, uh, Uruguay, Bolivia. They can bring that in in a box, and they can take it out of this box and put it into that box and call it a product of the United States. So it's it's an open fraud perpetrated on the uh, on the consumers and allowed by the United States Department of Agriculture, and it's a uh, it's a it's cheating the Americans out of their good name because what the people are looking at in the in the meat case is an inferior product. Yeah, and they believe that that's American, and it's and many many times it's not. Right, I, that's criminal. We've talked about that so many times on the program. I don't know why they won't fix that, uh, you know, country of origin and get that squared away. Because, um, like I said, I think it's criminal. It's it's total deception and false marketing. But um, you know, again, we just have to keep supporting these organizations, folks like RCAF USA. You can go to their website r dash calfusa.com a lot of great reading and uh, information all free and if you want to support them or join you know feel free to do that as well right on their website and um like uh mr hunt and i have mentioned a couple times you know support the uh the local um meat markets and uh don't forget about those four h'ers this season uh get out there have some fun on sale night uh, get yourself, uh, you know, a good seat and uh, support these kids who uh, they're the ones that, you know, you really, you know, look to. And uh, we want to give them the best experience as possible so that they lead the country in the right direction. Well, Mr. Hunt, thank you so much again for taking time and for all of your very uh, informative uh, points that you brought up uh, today. I know the uh, listening audience really benefit from it, and I appreciate your time. Well, Chris, I'd do it anytime. I sure appreciate your, your uh, show. Yes, Thank sir. You. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll keep that in mind, uh, circle back uh, around with you uh, another time and get an update on how these things are going. And uh, that does it for us. We could talk for hours, as you know, but we're up against a hard break. So uh, that'll do it for the, uh, the, the program today. Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. The latest white paper, just put it up for you. Will a recession rob your retirement? You know, people are obviously uneasy, not feeling good about things. We got that negative uh, GDP number. So I wanted to make that available for you. Just go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. Complimentary. Uh, just click the download button. It goes right to your email. And I hope you benefit from it. And uh, you enjoy the rest of the weekend. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. She's a gooseneck on a dually, a long neck at the bar, loves old John Wayne movies, waltzing under Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com. News Radio 930. WFMD Frederick. A connoisseur media radio station. 7 o'clock.